Well, hello there, you beautiful, wonderful, intelligent people with wonderful, wonderful taste. What are you doing here? <laughs> we are Fuds on Phil. I'm Drew. With me today, Scott. Oh. And for compare and contrast this month, we thought we would take a look at two films which feature the same character, but approached by two different filmmakers and with a quarter of a century between them. In this case, it will be The Hustler from 1961 and 1986's The Colour of Money, which both feature the character Fast Eddie Felson, a pool shark played by Paul Newman. So let's just begin, you know, entirely weirdly with the early one, the first one. <laughs> we're, we're, we're strange and unconventional like that. Scott, tell us about The Hustler, please. Yes. Oh, do it. Oh, do it. Do it. Do the hustle. Do the hustle, wrote visionary Van McCoy in the 1975 disco standard. They don't write them like that anymore. Words of advice that we assume Paul Newman took to heart, checks notes. 14 years earlier in this adaptation of Walter Trevisy's novel from, checks notes, 1959. This is still the time travel episode we're doing, right? Uh, no. Okay, so, in The Hustler... Doop, 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 doop. Newman plays a prodigiously talented young pool shark, Fast Eddie Felson, which sadly means someone who is really good at smacking billiard balls around and not a heavily betoothed aquatic predator living exclusively in artificial ponds. He's... <laughs> that was a stretch. I thought the hustle disco thing was a stretch, but no, you've surpassed yourself. Yes, the vamping in jazz hands is all I do. Uh, He's busy hustling his way around the United States of America with his partner Charlie, played by Myra McCormick, gambling and conning his way into making enough money to interest the legendary Minnesota Fats, Jackie Gleason, in a game. He gets to this surprisingly early, uh, but in a marathon game that at one point sees Eddie achieve his stated aim of winning $10,000, he can't stop himself going for broke, wanting to hear Fats call it quits. He doesn't, and as the night turns to day and Eddie continues drinking, the advantage swings to Fats, who annihilates him. Charlie voices his disgust to Eddie's hubris, and Eddie leaves, finding himself adrift and anchored only by that dependable friend, alcohol. He finds something of a kindred spirit in Piper Laurie's Sarah, an alcoholic part-time student supported by her father with a number of self-image issues, seemingly in part triggered by her slight mobility impairment. They embark on a relationship that's initially, and Sarah would argue, continued to be mainly physical in nature. Eddie soon starts lusting again, bumping into one of Fats's gambling associates, George C. Scott's Bert Gordon, who describes Eddie as a born loser, talented but no character. He thinks he can fix that, offering to stake him in the high roller games for a 75% cut of the winnings. Eddie laughs this off and returns to the smaller pool halls, looking to work his way up before hustling just the wrong character in just the wrong way to ensure that he's given a solid beating and two broken thumbs for his trouble. This sudden disability makes him more reliant on Sarah's help than it seems Eddie's comfortable with, and his temper flaring up almost as much as the situation brings him closer. Sarah realises that she loves Eddie, but Eddie's unable to say the words, because, as we've probably established by now, he's a bit of a tool. (laughs) After healing, Eddie goes back to Bert and accepts his terms, bringing Sarah on the road to the Kentucky Derby, which I hear is decadent and depraved, where the big fish hang out. Sarah grows increasingly repulsed by his lifestyle and the people, but... Before Eddie's increasing absorption back into his own ways and some pressure from Bert leads to her cracking in a tragic fashion, committing suicide and breaking apart the setup. Later, a colder, more focused, vengeance-seeking Eddie returns to face Minnesota Fats again, backed by Bert, and takes him to the cleaners while airing their very personal issues in front of a discomforted Fats. Eddie walks away with the cash, but under the threat of extreme inconveniencing again, should he ever show his face in a pool hall. And off fast Eddie goes, never to be heard of again. 
Hail the Modern Classical release with nine Oscar noms and two wins, one for Eugene Shufton's excellent gloomy pool hall cinematography. It will come as no surprise for regular listeners of this podcast that I'd not seen it until a few, <laughs> a few things ago. This being rather my sinister plan for these slots. I'm inclined to agree with Mr. Oscar's opinion in this regard, as there's an awful lot to like in The Hustler. You'd have to start with the lead performances, both of which pretty good, perhaps a touch melodramatic through a modern lens, but Newman's struggle with his character's worst elements creates a compelling arc, and his relationship between the two damaged people is satisfyingly spiky. George C. Scott and Jackie Gleason provide able support, but it's perhaps the dingy pool halls and their clientele that sells the atmosphere the best. Uh, for all this, the title is well chosen. It's Fast Eddie's character flaws and conflicts that drive the heart of this film, and his struggles to reconcile his conceptions of winning and losing with the rest of the worlds, and his growing self-awareness over the course of the piece. That's the reason this remains a well-loved film. Now, Drew, what do you make of this one then? Look, I had seen this film before, but it had been a long, long time. I think I must have been maybe 13 or 14 when I saw this film the mm. first time. And to be honest, very possibly the only other time I've seen this, despite, you know, having owned it on DVD for goodness knows how long, because that's what I do. That's <laughs> that I, 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 I buy the DVDs for them to gather dust. It's what they're for, right? For younger viewers, uh, DVDs are <laughs> plastic physical discs that contain films on them in some alchemy. It's kind of like Netflix, but smaller. Or larger, depending on your point of view. <laughs> kind of like Netflix, but less convenient. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> where else is the dust going to sit? Who will think of the dust, Scott? Why <laughs> yes. would you think of the dust? And I liked it a lot then, but to be honest, I didn't remember a great deal more of it than that Jackie Gleason was in it playing a character mm. called Minnesota Fats and Paul Newman was a pool shark. Mm. And while, yeah, I, I've, I like Paul Newman a lot. I think he's fantastic. And so that's another reason I wanted to return to this. And also because when I think of Jackie Gleason nowadays... All I tend to think of is his iconic, memorable, but kind of unpleasant role as the racist, yeah. blustering, horrible, <laughs> Sherrod Buford T. Justice and Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. And really, he deserves to be remembered for much more than that, certainly on the strength <laughs> of The Hustler. Because and that's one of the things I would like, one criticism I have of the film is that I wish there was an awful lot more of Jackie Gleason. Yeah. <laughs> because he's fantastic. He doesn't have a lot to do, unfortunately, but he is fantastic. He just like moments when the the very famous section when they've been playing pool for 25 hours, I think they mention. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then he just he gets himself sort of pimped up and he's got his coat on, he looks all powdered and nice. And, and just that contrast with Paul Newman's completely yeah. wasted character, it <laughs> works so well. And then he does a fantastic line in looking deeply uncomfortable while people um, argue around him. Mm-hmm. In the final scene when George C. Scott and Paul Newman are arguing, uh, he looks so uncomfortable, discomforted and out of place. And he's doing all of that, I think, just with his face, with the facial yeah. expressions. And it's so good because uh, it looks so believable that yeah, yeah, he's really uncomfortable because he's in the middle of somebody else's argument, but he can't really move away. Yeah. When you see acting like that, it's like, oh, I wish there was more. Please mm-hmm. give please give him Jackie Gleason some more to do. So returning to him, I'm pleased to find that I like it a great deal. I just rather like, I rather hoped I would like it more. Mm. So I do have some issues with this film. First of all, while I think Paul Newman is a fantastic actor, there seem to be quite a number of his films where he plays drunk. Yes. And I don't buy Paul Newman's <laughs> drunk. Yeah. <laughs> this is a problem. He does it in The Sting as well, though. At least in The Sting, it's kind of verging on being comic. 
in this it's meant to be serious and I, I just don't buy his drunk mm-hmm. which is a problem given how much of the hustler he spends drunk you know, it's <laughs> probably a good quarter of it and the other the other really big problem I have with it is the the suicide of Sarah uh, you know they, they find these two broken flawed people find each other and they're sort of they're edging towards some sort of happiness yeah but because Paul Newman, as you say, is an absolute tool, <laughs> he's intent on squandering it. But for that character to to commit suicide, how she does, where she does, when she does, it just felt to me like it was a drama bomb. Yeah, it, with, it does feel like something that's more convenient for the script than it is for her character. Exactly, yes. Yeah. It, it's a bridging event to mm. get to the final act rather than mm. it being something that seems to work for the character. Yeah. So that um, Piper Lawyer is a bit um, underserved. I just I didn't really buy that. And there's certainly you could have that happen to that character with a few tweaks in the script. I think where it wouldn't feel sort of place, but it just feels like yeah, drama bomb. So there's a reason for Paul Newman to hate George C. Scott. Yeah, she yeah. she goes from relatively normal to suicidal in a very short space of time, and it's not particularly obvious why it would happen yeah i agree with yeah, that yeah it's, it's never been suggested in the rest of the film like, yeah she has alcohol problems certainly perhaps she's a little sad a little lonely but there's nothing to suggest that that these thoughts there's it just it's so out of the blue and it seems out mm. of character from how the character's been established that yes it, it does feel like it serves the script more than it serves the truth of the character and that bothers me mm. I mean, what it does do, at least, is it does set up a very, very tense final confrontation between George C. Scott and Paul Newman, and it does really feel tense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a very compelling final scene, even if it kind of, the way we got there was very artificial. Yeah. But the thing is, I wouldn't like you to think that I don't think it's a good film. I think it's a really, really good film. I just don't think it's a special film. And I certainly I don't think Paul Newman's performance is special. It's very good, mm. but I've seen much better. And it's certainly worth seeing. And if you like Paul Newman, it's an absolute must-see if you've not seen it. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, I just wanted it to be something a bit, I don't know. Yeah, I, I say the word special, I have to use it again. It's, it's <laughs> great, but it's not special. And I'm disappointed, but I would have liked to see more of Jackie Gleason. It's mm. a very interesting film. And yeah, I guess we'll come to in a minute, though, that Perhaps another criticism I have is I'm not convinced the character changes all that much. The general idea of the film is that it's some sort of Faustian pact that mm. unwillingly Sarah is sacrificed, unwillingly and unwittingly sacrificed for Paul Newman to build this character that would make him a winner. I'm not massively convinced his character changes all that much though. You know, he's a bit of a selfish tool at the beginning. He's a bit of a selfish tool at the end, just but, with a horrible tragedy that, because he's therefore he's not supposed to play pool after that, was kind of pointless. Again, that's I guess that's the the idea of Faustian packs is you don't really get what you want, but yeah, he did win, so you know there's that. But then that, yes, it's not the same if you never get to play again. This yeah, is the thing you love. I think it's trying to set up that he's he has won by his initial definition of winning at the start of the film, yeah. but he has, in the grand scheme of things, lost far more than he's won. Yes, it's a pyrrhic yeah. victory, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I agree completely with the props for Jackie Gleason, but uh, George C. Scott's another character I would like to see more of. I've, yeah. I've not seen an awful lot of George C. Scott films. So I've not actually seen an awful lot of Paul Newman films, so I need to rectify 
both of those uh, going forward to us and uh, dig some of those uh, back catalogue stuff up. Uh, where do you begin with Paul Newman though? Because yeah. he, he's just fantastic. I mean, even like in supporting roles like in Sam Mendes' Road to Perdition, I thought he's mm. amazing. Mm. The Sting is one of my all-time favourite films and he's brilliant in that. Yeah, Cool Hand Luke is amazing. HUD's amazing. Someone Up There Likes Me is amazing. Can Hot Tim Roof is an astonishing film. Paul Newman is just so, so watchable all of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, this is another really good Paul Newman film, although it's not amongst um, his absolute best, I would say. But yeah, if you, yeah, it's something you should remedy, Scott, because Paul Newman is so compelling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all these films of the sort of 60s, 70s are not sure you have seen actually a barest fraction of them, certainly none of the ones you mentioned there. So it will be certainly something to go back and check out. Jackie Gleason. I looked at his listing on IMDb and I, I have to say that not an awful lot jumped out at me. Uh, mm-hmm. Although, having seen him in this, I watched Smokey the Bandit again the day after because I hadn't seen that for a long time. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, Smokey the Bandit is kind of fun, but boy, it has aged badly. It's, yeah. it's very much a product of its time. But at uh, the <laughs> same time, I was like, Crikey. Sally Field was a pretty woman back then, wasn't she? Was yeah. like, <laughs> nothing to do with anything. I don't want to try and be like creepy or anything. It's like, Jing, yeah, she was a really attractive woman. Like, I've only seen Sally Field mostly uh, being much older and play, playing like a mother role. Forrest Gump onwards or Steel Magnolias onwards. It feels quite different. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced I have a point there, other than I was just <laughs> talking about having seen Smokey and the Bandit. It's a long, long time since I'd seen Smokey and the Bandit. But yes. So, what happened though is something that doesn't happen often is that an entire quarter of a century later, the film got made into a sequel. Yeah. It had a sequel made. That's weird. So yeah, as I said, a quarter of a century later, Paul Newman returns as Fast Eddie Felsen, and this time Martin Scorsese's The Colour of Money. And I'll say right here, at no point in the film do they establish the colour of money, do they question the colour of money, do they even mention the colour of money? So at the end of this, I have no idea what the colour of money is. <laughs> I think the answer is it depends on which country you're in, because <laughs> that's how currency notes work. The strange thing here is that after the events of The Hustler, it seems that Fast Eddie has indeed kept away from being a pool shark, but doesn't appear to have done anything in the interim, more or less. And so mm. doesn't appear to have changed at all. Here we find that he's entered the fake liquor business, or the stolen liquor business, or possibly both, while also owning a pool hall and doing the same job, more or less, that George C. Scott did in 1961 to him bankrolling hustlers like John Turturro's badly bearded Julian. <laughs> his excitement in general, and in particular his love of pool, is reignited when he encounters Vincent Lauria, a far too young Tom Cruise, with all of the hair. All of the hair. All of the hair from the world stacked <laughs> atop his head. All of the hair. <laughs> Which is really strange given that in the same year in Top Gun, none of that hair is apparent. Why, what was the, the deal with Tom Cruise's hair and the colour of money, it bothers me, because it was so much hair. Anyway, I will go down a hair-based rabbit hole here, which is a sentence nobody in history has ever uttered before. A young hustler in whom he sees much of himself. He decides to take Vincent out on the road, with the destination being a pool championship in Atlantic City, and the aim is to teach him what he knows, make him a better hustler, and also make a bucker thousand, if he can. That is, up until the point he doesn't anymore. And Vincent largely disappears in the film for a long time. While Eddie, 
having apparently had some sort of breakdown because Forrest Whitaker's Amos hustled him. I mean, surely that's an occupational hazard, but it seems to really get to him in a <laughs> we didn't really know how to write the character crisis kind of way. <laughs> At which point, Eddie decides to really get back into playing pool and decides to enter the tournament himself. And unsurprisingly, towards the end of the tournament, Tom Cruise reappears, kind of stiffs Eddie in a way to get him back for helping him and giving him lots of money. <laughs> really, the character motivations don't make a good deal of sense in this film. Then, yeah, then Eddie is sort of the same person at the end of this film as he was at the start of this film, more or less, except now he plays pool again. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know, this is... The Colour of Money is a strange film. I didn't not like it. I mean, the presence of Paul Newman alone makes it a compelling film. And I actually think his performance in this is better than in The Hustler. I just think he's he's very, very engaging. Mm. I just don't think the writing's as good. Yeah, I, I agree. It's certainly really watchable, but at the end of it, I had no idea what it was trying to say. Uh, yeah. I had no idea why it was going back to these characters. As it, like, the Hustler was about the Hustler. The Colour of Money does not seem to be about any one thing in particular. Uh, it no. changes focus too often, and by the end of it, it doesn't really seem to have said much in the way of anything to it. And um, If there's a message to be mined from this, I can't find it. Uh, <laughs> It's entertaining, but pointless. <laughs> yeah. What is it about? I mean, is, is it just about... It's not even about following your dreams or anything like that. It, it seems like he was not all that bothered about not playing pool until suddenly he was. Mm-hmm. And so the character, as you mentioned, just does not seem to have moved on very much from the end of the last film. He's still just stuck in a rut. And even even at the end of this, if you could argue that he's now out of that rut, he's just back into an older rut. So... It doesn't really feel like the character's moved on at all. He's still uh, off chasing dreams of pool-hustling glory rather than being with his girlfriend. Or Maybe it's kind of implied at the end of it that he's a bit more balanced. He seems to care more about his wife now than he, or his uh, girlfriend than he does about the pool shenanigans by the end of it, perhaps. But that's, if anything, a really minor <laughs> point. Yes. And, and only tangentially touched on in the film. But the rest of it's just it's just a just a lot of things that happened. I don't quite understand why there's a rivalry that appears from nowhere between Paul Newman's character and uh, Tom Cruise's character, and I don't know why it appeared or why it's in any way supposed to be interesting. It's really strange. It just it, it just he Vincent leaves for a while and he comes back and now he's the enemy. So, but is he? But he's not. Yeah. I, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. It's like, it starts off you think it's going to be a almost a kind of father son. Yeah master pupil sort of relationship where he he takes Tom Cruise, he tries to you know, teach him, stop being a punk I mean, they make you realise your potential, you can do this, yeah. and then halfway through the film it's like, ah nah, we can't be bothered with that anymore, yeah. <laughs> let's just have Paul Newman play a pool for a bit and then very kind of cliched sporting film montage of improving mm. and playing lots of games and then getting stronger, his way up the ranks yeah <laughs> Really, if you'd heard fanfare for Eddie, yeah. you know, if you wouldn't have been surprised. And yeah, I, I don't know what the point is. It's, it's, I think Paul, as I said, I think Paul Newman's performance is good. He's really compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just that he doesn't really have a character that deserves it. Yeah. And a film that deserves it. And it's really weird. This is a Martin Scorsese film. And, yeah. and this isn't early Scorsese. This is only four years before Goodfellas. It's post Main Streets, it's mm. post Taxi Driver, it's post Raging Bull. Yeah. And it, yet it doesn't feel like a 
competent Martin Scorsese film, it feels like Martin Scorsese on an off day. Yeah. Which is, again, generally better than most things. I think most of the films are with the script for the direction. Oh, yeah, but still, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't feel Martin Scorsese-y. Yeah. It's tough to imagine a, a Scorsese of these days being happy with this Tom Cruise performance. I mean, I don't know if that's what the character was intended to be. Or if that's just the best Tom Cruise could do at the time, because Tom Cruise has matured quite a lot, despite not looking like he's aged a bay. Yeah. But here he's just... I've never liked Tom Cruise in this era, and he's... The one positive thing you can say from him is he brings an awful lot of energy to it. I mean, this whole film is basically like that clip of him jumping up and down on the sofa on Ellen or Oprah, Oprah or whoever it was, but it's like yeah, that yeah. for two hours. It's too much. Too much energy. It's, too much hair, also. <laughs> too much energy, too much hair, and it's all just quite annoying. He's, he's just quite hard to watch, I find. He's, yeah. I know it's kind of, it's, he's kind of going for that sort of youthful exuberance and arrogance thing, and I suppose it nails it, but maybe maybe it's just too good. Maybe he nails that too well, and I just hate him for it, and it's not... It just it just was not an entertaining character to watch, yeah. and the, the relationship between him and Eddie never really felt you know, it never really kicks off to the point where it should be. It felt like it should be more of a father-son relationship at the start to actually make the ending of any sort of impact, and it kind of isn't. It's just sort of edging towards that, but never quite getting there. Yeah, so that little uh, character interactions don't really work all that well. It's weird to think how young Tom Cruise looks here. Mm. He's one of those people like Leonardo DiCaprio who's kind of really aged into his looks and his performance and just looked unbelievably young in so many of his earlier roles. Yeah. And yeah, there aren't that many great Tom Cruise roles at this time. And Top Gun's the, the one obvious standout mm. that you probably can't consider. I mean, Risky Business is, was his real breakout role, I think. It was a few years before that. But he's meant to be playing a teenager in that, so kind of works. Mm. And something like Ridley Scott's Legend. It's, it's a fantasy film, so it kind of doesn't count. It feels so different. But yeah, a lot of the other films around this time, yeah, Tom Cruise is too young, I think. Mm. <laughs> Whereas by the time you get to A Few Good Men, which is six or seven years later, and one of my favourite films, I think he's great. I think he's really compelling. Yeah. And I never thought Tom Cruise was a great actor, but I think he's a good actor who at times can be very good. And so, I mean, you get to uh-huh. um, A Few Good Men and Rain Man, he certainly is. But in this, no, he's, I don't know, he's, he's so unlikable. Yeah. Weirdly, though, I actually think he works quite well in Top Gun and feels about 10 years older in Top Gun. <laughs> Maybe it's the lack of hair. Uh, but uh, what is hard to believe is, because this came out the same year as Top Gun, and I was yeah. like, if you're going to work in the same year with Martin Scorsese and Tony Scott, you wouldn't think Tony Scott is the person who got the better performance out of an actor. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't anticipate that at all, would you? Yeah. That's a weird one. So yeah, I think Tom Cruise is miscast in this. Again, the big problem really is with the script because I don't really think it knows what it's doing or what to do with the characters. Mm-hmm. But Tom Cruise is definitely Miss Cassie. He doesn't fit into this film. And given he isn't quite a large chunk of it, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Again, this I don't, You hadn't seen this before either, Scott? No, no? I hadn't, no. no. This is, again, another one I had seen, but years and years ago, and I could remember nothing about it. I could remember that Paul Newman and Tom Cruise were in it. I could remember... Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio in front of a fire, which isn't even in this film, so I have no idea what film I'm remembering. Some maybe like a Sean Connery film from that time or something. Uh, but yeah, so I remember things from a film that wasn't this. It was how little I remembered it, and I'm really kind of disappointed. Paul Newman's great; it's compelling. It's more or less the only upside, apart from yeah, you know, like 
this small role that Forrest Whitaker has, Forrest Whitaker has always been watchable, mm-hmm. proves it here. John Turturro kind of miscast, actually. Yeah. For what little he's in the film, he's... Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that strikes you, though, is how goddamn ugly this film is, or rather, how goddamn ugly the early 80s were. Yeah. <laughs> because the hairstyles are appalling, the clothes are so ugly. Paul Newman's glasses should have some sort of penal code against them because <laughs> they're so ugly. Of that and his terrible suits with the turtlenecks. Like, oh, Paul Newman's such a beautiful man and he looks so terrible in most of this film. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I suppose some of it matches that, that Paul Newman's character, Fast Eddie, is kind of mischievous success and his trappings of his rather cheap and nasty looking suit and his Cadillac, which is... See, I don't know whether that's because he thinks a Cadillac's a classy car which it isn't, <laughs> or whether that's actually because, particularly in the 1980s, that a lot of Americans really actually thought a Cadillac was a you know a good luxury vehicle, as opposed to a massive, wobbly, ugly piece of <laughs> um, which is what Cadillacs, Cadillacs are and always have been. <laughs> but certainly, but a 1980s Cadillac is just a particularly vile example of the, the brand. But it just, I don't know, it kind of fits the sort of... You know, if this was set in Britain, it's the sort of car that maybe you'd expect something like a Dell boy to have it's yeah. that sort of idea of it being classy where it isn't and it's I don't know, it just fits with that idea of the character not really knowing what's classy yeah but I don't know I also just fit the whole thing is just so ugly too so it's not visually appealing because the clothes are terrible the hair's terrible the glasses are terrible the hotel's incredibly <laughs> ugly yeah and it, I mean it's strange because there was not a lot of beauty in the pool halls that were being shot in The Hustler but it manages to look quite uh, quite convincingly compelling and it, it, it lends a certain something to the atmosphere in that film whereas this just looks kind of cheap <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it does also I want to find myself thinking though is like you see the montage of the pool um, matches in the, the different halls there it's a couple of different montages one with Tom Cruise one with Paul Newman but I can't help thinking like have like all pool halls got exactly the same tall chairs that people sit on <laughs> or is it just the same pool hall shot eight different ways because it's <laughs> really the whole country has exactly the same chairs in every pool hall was it okay <laughs> yeah it's strange that you wait 25 years to make a film you bring a, f- a filmmaker as gifted as Scorsese to it and somehow make a massively lesser film yeah there doesn't seem to be a lot of Scorsese influence here, I guess. It's no, the, the, it seems all to come from the script. The script's not super... Yeah, the characters just aren't uh, quite compelling enough to make this anything really worth it. I'm not sure I'd even recommend this. I mean, I, I didn't... I enjoyed it well enough when I was watching it, but I don't really see, other than a, a good Newman performance, if there's anything here that's actually worth really seeking out if you've not seen it already. I suppose it is actually probably good enough, just on the basis of that Paul Newman performance, to, to warrant recommendation, but I'm, I'm not... I didn't expect going into this that I would have to swither about uh, giving a Scorsese film a recommendation. So that's uh, that's can can only be a disappointment. Yeah, it's so strange too because I mean it's Scorsese working with so many people he worked with. It's Mikhail Balhaus, his cinematographer on so many films like The Departed and Goodfellas, uh, The Age of Innocence, and other things. And like it's so unremarkable visually. Yeah, and then it's edited by Thelma Schoonmaker. Hmm. Again, legendary editor who's done the, the, the editing on Goodfellas is extraordinary. And it's just so... Oh, you can't even really notice the editing in this film. It's mm. 
and I don't know, it's so strange like, to become between like in the midpoint between Goodfellas and Raging Bill with the same people and like and this is the film they made yeah <laughs> I think it's just got to come down to the script I think the script is the real problem with this film yeah, I mean, the talent's there, but the film doesn't know what it is, so I guess they just couldn't find uh, an end to it. But it, yeah. kind of, it kind of makes me wonder why they picked it up in the first place. Uh, was it just the opportunity to work with these people again, the opportunity to get the, to, to resurrect the character they thought they could pull something out of it? But the script just isn't worth doing. No, um, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I don't know, because I mean, you can see why it's like, for Scorsese too, it's like, do you want to work with Paul Newman? Mm, yeah. Well, Obviously, <laughs> yes. because why wouldn't you? But yeah, I don't know. It's see, I'm still recommending because I really do think Ponyo's performance is compelling. But it's a kind of strange film, and to wait 25 years and and then make a a film like this that just I don't know, it just seems so pointless. Yeah, yeah, such a waste of opportunity. Yeah, so many strange choices, weird casting decisions, ugly sets, odd script. Strange direction, no. Strange, it's so disappointing because there's so much promise from... Because I think you could have had, like we said a couple of times already, Scott, you could have had the father-son, mentor-pupil sort of relationship with mm. um, Tom Cruise. Even if that's a fairly standard story of, like, that goes sour, yeah. then either you have it then become a rivalry or it comes back around to a rapprochement. Mm. That's fine. I mean, you have you know, such a gifted filmmaker and such a gifted actor then it just raises it above what might be a fairly ordinary story. But this doesn't really seem to have much of a story. <laughs> Odd film. It should. It feels like it should be so much more, so much better. Hmm. I am yeah. disappointed. Yes. So what a bummer to end the podcast on. But <laughs> nonetheless, that's where it is. So, um, yes, thank you very much for your attention. If you want to get in touch with us, you who may do so. We graciously allow it through means <laughs> such as email podcast at fudsonfilm.com or twitter that's the main one at fudsonfilm or facebook facebook.com slash fudsonfilm so we'll be back with you soon with another slice of entertainment uh, but till then I'm Scott Morris and I bid you adieu I'm sure Drew Tavendale will do so too fairly well, well.